0: So uh, this is a two-part talk. So the first part is now, and the second part's in the afternoon service, okay? Ah, never mind. Um, But then you'll get those guys in the afternoon. They've got part two, but they'll have missed part one. So, you know, it's all fair, right? Um, So uh, I'm calling this the restoration or the prophetic restoration of the church in the United Kingdom, which is a really grandiose title is it isn't it it's like man who do you think you are but um this is what i believe god has been saying and interestingly the more that i've been listening to other people and other pastors around the country uh, i'm beginning to see a a thread of continuity that a lot of people are starting to say the same thing thinking the same thing so i'm I'm encouraged by that so basically uh, if you've got a bible we're going to uh, turn, well, let's just turn to Joshua 1.1. 1, 1. Let's just start with the bad news first. <laughs> this might upset a few people and all those watching this, I'm sorry if I offend you by some of the things I say today. But, but this is what, what God wants to say is a good thing. It's about restoration and it's about make, bringing the church back to a place of power again. Uh, and th- this is not a word for the church around the world. This is, I believe, this is specific to the United Kingdom. Um, I don't know why that is, but I just believe it is. And I think it has something to do with Britain's ancient paths and things that went on here a long time ago, which many of us probably are not aware of. So um, Joshua 1.1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. I've used this in many sermons. I love this verse. Moses, my servant is dead. Now, can you imagine how Joshua felt? He woke up one morning, he's nice and secure. He knows he's like second in command, so to speak. And he's cool with that because it's like Moses can take all the flack, you know, whatever, it's his problem. Uh, he's gonna help us get to the promised land or at least we think he is. And, and then suddenly you get this, you wake up and then Joshua's told, hey, Joshua, Moses is dead. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. How, now, a whole ethos, a whole generation a whole way of life, all of that, that that whole thing of coming out of Egypt, the Dead Sea, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, all of that stuff just as, as almost seemed like, what? but it's, it's over, is it over? It's come to an end. And then, then God goes on to say, now therefore you. <laughs> God's good at that, isn't he? Yeah, he's dead now, so it's your problem now. It's not my problem, I'm telling you, it's your problem. And so Joshua woke up one day and his life changed forever. And it changed the nation of Israel forever as a new leader took Israel in. Moses was a very pastoral leader. Joshua was a very, I guess, more charismatic military leader. And you say, where's that in the Bible? Well, if you remember the story of uh, when the Amalekites came out to attack Israel, Moses was stood on the hill uh, with her and Aaron, his brother, holding up his arms. But it was Jethro that was leading the armies. So Jethro was a man of war. And so this is why Jes- Joshua was the, the right guy for the right job to get into the promised land. Okay? So what has this got to do with us today? Well, basically, um, charismatic church, the charismatic movement is dead. Hebrew Roots Church, the Hebrew Roots Movement is dead. The Catholic Church, Catholic Church is dead. The Protestant Church and all its sub-denominations of Baptist and Anglican and all that sort of stuff, it's dead. And you're thinking, they're not dead, they're still alive, okay? Because they've come as far as they can go. They've come as far as they can go. Charismatic Movement was a movement, that movement has now ended. The Pentecostal movement was a movement. That movement has now ended and it's kind of, uh, what's the word, just gently plateaued out into a denomination, the Pentecostal denomination. Same with everything. Methodism, it was a movement. Then it became a denomination. Now it's plateaued out and we can all see, no disrespect, but Methodism is literally dying on its feet uh, across this nation. Uh, lot, loads of denominations, they're all dying. And we're seeing a massive decline of Christendom Uh, I could tell you stuff that's just going on locally, but I'm not because people will be watching this. It's Christendom is not in a good way. Christendom's in a bad way. Christendom is literally dying on its feet in this nation. Okay, now people are still getting saved. Churches are still being planted, Um, but we have come as far as we can go in this nation with these movements. And the trouble is, you see, they're all separate movements. Some of these movements have crossed over into other things. But what I believe God wants to do in this day is to take these several, these different movements and these different denominations, as though they were different strands of colour on, on my fingers here. But God doesn't want them to go into a melting pot where they just become some dull blue blacky thing. He wants all these threads to come together and twit, twist together to form a rope. The trouble is, each of these denominations and each of these movements think they are the rope. Okay, you know. Charismatics, we are the rope. We've got the, we've got the Holy Spirit. We've got this and we've got that. They think they are the truth and, the, and God's answer to the world and the universe. I've got a wake-up call for you. You're not, okay? And there's other denominations. They've got stuff okay, that we don't have and we've got stuff that other people don't have. And so in this move and restoration of the UK church, it's going to be about bringing these, all of these strands, all of these blends together to make a powerful, united Church. Now I'm not talking about because people accuse me of this sometimes on YouTube, people say to me, Oh, you're Chris, you're moving in an antichrist spirit, you're calling all the faiths to come together. I'm not talking about other faiths. I'm just talking about Christians getting on with each other, goodness sake. And and, and where there's unity, it commands a blessing. Now, man, I tell you, it commands a blessing. What is that blessing? Life forevermore. And the church needs God's life in it. Hallelujah. We're just playing the same old game. Now, please, no disrespect, but look around you. Is this as good as it gets? Now, I know some of you have been here for a long time in Christendom, and you've seen it when it was good. All right, we're just going. I'm not being rude, but we are for the most part just going through the motions go to church on the Sunday, sometimes we get a bit excited about Jesus, and other days we don't. Um, but, but that's it, you know, we hardly see any miracles, we don't see much of the power of God. And we're constantly, oh God, why are we not seeing, we're Lord, we're crying out for revival. But you see, the problem is, is that we're old, dried up wine husks. And, uh, you know, wine skins are all like, oh man, yeah, that thing ain't gonna, that's not gonna take some new wine. It just is not gonna take no new wine. But we need new wine. We need something fresh from God, but it's not going to be, oh, it's just for us, the Charismatics. And it's not just going to be, oh, it's just for us, the Anglicans or whoever. This is a thing which God wants to unite his church in a wonderful way. And there's other stuff that I want to bring out as well in this talk. So we all know that uh, famous scripture, Matthew 9, verses 14 to 17. It says you can't put a new cloth on an old garment because it will tear away. Neither can you put new wine into old wineskins because the wineskins will burst and the wine will be spoiled and ruined. Okay. God wants to put new wine into new wineskins. And God wants to, things he's been showing me, and I'll I'll, uh, unpack this throughout the two talks, bring the ancient church of Britain back together with the modern church of Britain. So all of those good things that we have learned and retained through various movements of the spirit over the last 200 years will be retained, but it must come together with the ancient church of this nation as well. And I'll unpack that over the next two talks. So The blending of old and new. So you might say, well, doesn't that contradict the whole thing of new wine? You can't put new wine into old wineskins. So how is it that the new and the ancient must come together? Sure, that's trying to put a new piece of cloth onto an old garment. No, because actually this is the new wine. The new wine is blending the ancient with the modern. And that that is the way forward for the church of today and that God wants to make his church one. You see, Jesus prayed in John 17. It's a high priestly prayer by our high priest who is very God himself in the flesh, who said, Lord, Father, I pray that as we are one, I pray that they will be one. And we have done everything we can in the name of religion to stop us doing that. And one of the big things that we do to do this is theology. Theology is one of the biggest, most divisive things that we use against each each church tradition. Now, I'm not talking about getting into, like, fairy fairy cake stuff and heresy. You know, we just embrace everybody, man. I'm not talking about hippie Jesus. I'm talking about the fact is that there are things that we have a difference of opinion of, which are secondary doctrinal issues and not the primary doctrinal issues. But we make it the primary doctrinal issues and an excuse to fight and to stick away from each other. We should be ashamed of ourselves. It's time to stop being divisive in the body of Christ. Well, I believe this and you believe that. Uh, Let's take a few examples. Well, you you believe that you should eat this and I believe that I don't need to eat that. You believe that I should observe this. I don't believe that I need to observe that. You believe that the communion is this and I don't believe that it is that, etc. Who cares? These are secondary issues. And we should stop using these things to divide the church of God as though we had a divine right to do this. Like it's my place to tell Christendom how to, you know, we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this. And if you don't believe what I believe, God doesn't want uniformity. He wants unity. Uniformity is where we must all believe exactly the same thing as everybody else. Me and my wife, we are one flesh. We see things differently, but it's the same coin. And that's the problem. Most Christians don't realise they're seeing the same coin and arguing about things that actually, well, do you really, do you really know? I mean, do you really know? I'm going to pick on an example because it's right next to me. Is this the actual presence of Christ or is this in memory only? The Bible says both. So which one is it? Okay, depending which tradition you're sitting in will depend on your answer. But do you really know with 100% certainty that you're right and they're wrong? Do you absolutely know that? With 100% certainty, and does it even matter? What does matter is I believe in God the Father Almighty Creator of heaven and earth, and in his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who was conceived by, the Virg- uh, sorry, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, and on and on and on and on it goes. Okay? These are the basic tenets of the Christian faith. Whether you believe that that is or that is in memory only is neither here nor there. But we use it to back each other, fight each other. And this, I I just believe that God's saying that this has got to stop. This has got to stop. Because if we're going to go where we're going, we have to do it together. Whether you like them, whether you agree with them or not. Okay, I'm talking, even amongst Protestants, okay, I'm talking, man, we, we just we just come up with any, any old excuse to have a, have a, have a fight in a barn in an arm wrestle match. Aren't but the thing is, when you get to know people and you have a, a relationship with them and there's love and respect, then you can have the difficult discussions. But don't start with the difficult discussions and just get everyone's back up. Now, as a prophet, I, I found that I've become the message. So in 2018, God gave me this word, which was about that Theresa May would be stepped down and that Brexit would take place. And then I started prophesying all this other stuff that I had no understanding of what I was talking about. And it was, you know, God is going to revive monastic communities in this nation. What, what am I talking about? And that there'll be houses of prayer all over this nation. And that he's going to blend the ancient with the modern. And it's time to go back to our ancient paths. And I was like, I do not know what it is I'm prophesying or talking about here. But then for the next several years, God has been leading me on this, and my wife as well, on this really exciting adventure and meeting other people throughout this country who've all had the same picture, the same vision, the same word. These are church leaders as well, you know, and it's going on all around us right now. There's a new re-envisioning of the church. You know, we can look around at the surface and think, oh my gosh, what a mess. How depressing. There is no hope. We're all doomed, but under the surface, God is already at move amongst his people and bringing a new resurgence. And and I tell you, it's only a matter of time before that thing starts to come up and people start to notice it. And so I'm trying to, well, I'm trying to outwork what this looks like. And so there's some things that I'm gonna tell you now, um, but I'm not gonna go into too much detail because I can't just yet. But as you know, we've got the field, yeah? Bless Eric and Jean, let us use it. And we do our allotment and things on that. I didn't realize that part of the whole monastic tradition is not just about sitting around praying all day it's actually about working the land and healing the lands you see in the in celtic christianity uh so ad 400 to about ad 900 you would have these celts so when they came over from iona and stuff and they came to the british isles do you know what they did they did the exact opposite to what we do okay uh, where's the, where's the, where did we go once? Is it Glastonbury that you took me to? Yeah, my wife accidentally booked us a holiday in Glastonbury. And I remember stepping out of the car in Glastonbury town centre, and I didn't know it was Glastonbury. I thought, oh this place is not... I had a re- instantly, like a really weird vibe. There's something not right about this place. And then I immediately saw someone and thought, she's a witch. And I saw another one, like, so, that's a witch. I saw another one, there's another witch. Because, you know, when you've been in witchcraft, like I was when I was younger, it, it, you, you spot my mind off. And I'm like, where on earth are we? And I looked around and saw these shops, witchcrafts, crystals this, blah, 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 that. And I was like, ah, oh, I know where I am now. Looked at Tracy, is like, you do know where we are, right? We're in like witchcraft central of Great Britain. Okay. And we, we were having this conversation after saying, would we, would we plant a church in witchcraft central? And the answer probably was, don't think I'd really like to try, if I'm honest with you. I've got enough problems without getting like, you know, kicking a hornet's nest and having that thing running after me all day long. But this is what the Celtic Christians did. They found the most demonised, darkest spot of the land and they set up shop there and they prayed over that land until it became hallowed, holy land. And then they built a a monastery there. They didn't plant churches to start with, they built monasteries, made that centre a centre of prayer and education. And there they trained up new recruits, those new recruits went out, and then they planted uh, churches in various communities, but it, and then they, they moved to somewhere else and they'd plant another house of prayer and another house of prayer. And so the house of prayer was the central component to the church, and then from there came the missionaries that went out and planted churches. Today, what we do now is we just plant churches, but we've got no prayer back up, and the church just doesn't pray. I mean, don't get me wrong, there is a resurgence in in prayer movement in the church, which is good, but we are not praying as we ought to, and for the degree of time that we should be. We just don't do it. And so therefore, I believe God wants to reinstate these these communities, whether it's a new monastic community, which is a bit more modern and trendy. Uh, No, that's not fair, it's not modern and trendy. It's just just a, a modern take on an ancient form of monasticism in modern day life, which we haven't got time to unpack. Or both, where we get the old and the new. But the, the new model of church planting has to be we've got to go back to the old model where it's about house of prayer or a, com- a community of people that pray. And from there, we educate people and we send them out as missionaries rather than planting what I call the Sunday box model, which is we plant these Sunday boxes everywhere, but they've got no power to them because there's nothing backing them up. It's not there. When when King Henry VIII... Um, and dissolution of the monasteries, he took away the very powerhouse of this nation. He took away, and then from that moment, you can, you can literally watch the onset of uh, the Age of Enlightenment coming in and secularism gradually coming into this land, and it came in, and now we're living the consequences of what King Henry VIII did in the Reformation hundreds of years ago. This land is now virtually, I think it's around about 97% atheistic, or secular, should we say, not, not atheistic, but secular. So there's only about three or four percent Christians in this nation. Okay, that's a consequence, a historical fact, and a historical consequence. Now, I was speaking to someone in a in a, weren't well, we? Yesterday, uh, we're talking about someone. I asked a question. You know, well, have you got monasteries in your country? Because I'm just like interested. He go, Yeah, we have got them everywhere. And then, as a country, they're still a religious Christian country and a a nation. Where are they from? Romania. Yeah, um, and it's like. I see this all of the time, those places where there are pillars and, f- and these kind of fires all over their nation, those nations are doing better in the things of God and are aggressive against secularism, and we have completely bowed down and gone the opposite way, hallelujah. So, I don't know about you, but you should be discontent right now. You should be saying, I'm fed up with the church in this nation, I'm fed, not, we're not fed up with Jesus, but I'm fed up with the church being powerless. You know, we are, all of us here, and I said this a few weeks ago, we are priests of the order of Melchizedek. And we can see when we read the book of Leviticus, because I know everyone loves to read that book, okay? The book of Leviticus is a shadow and type of our ministry now. And so if priests, so for example, if someone was murdered on the land, but then nobody knew who did it, the priest's function was to go and pl- uh, make sacrifice to heal the land so that the land didn't spew the people out, Okay. Our job as priests unto God is to pray. It's like those early uh, monastic Celtic Christians. It was like, we've got to pray for this nation. And we've got to heal the land. We've got to work the land. We've got to get our hands dirty. If you lay hands on a sick person, what do you do? You lay hands on them, right? If you want to heal the earth, you've got to get your hands on it and pray for it. This is what, the, this is what early Christendom used to do. They're like, let's find the most demonic Uh, Evil place we can find and make it hallowed ground and there we will make it into a spiritual super center and we'll send out missionaries to the nations Now some of you might be thinking to me man. This is just weird. This is just charismatic nonsense This is not charismatic nonsense This is your own history and what the Celts did that you and I are not doing is that they took the whole of Great Britain For Jesus and they won it We're not getting anywhere there's more secularism every day, growing and growing, and we are increased, we are decreasing. But this is not what God's plan is for this nation. He wants to make this nation a sheep nation, not a goat nation. And he is going to turn this nation around. We are going to see some wonderful things, but it ain't going to change until we change. And unfortunately, throughout church history, we have to have the same pattern. We see it in the book of Judges, don't we? The Israel gets fat and comfortable and easy. So then God sends them various troubles and stuff. And then Israel repents. I'm sorry, Lord, please come back to us. He gives them another judge. And then they have 40 years of peace. And then they get fat and content again. And then on and on it goes. The same's with the church. The church right now is quite fat and affluent and ease, and just at ease. There's no sense of desperation, there's no sense of urgency in the signs of the times we're at, because the church is a millennial and post-millennial, and therefore has no concept, no conclusion, no understanding whatsoever that the signs of the times are around us, and therefore it's just like everything's fine, everything's great, hallelujah, glory be to God, Jesus will just come back at undetermined time in the future, but until then, we're just business as usual, right? That's not what God wants for his church. He wants his church to be aware of the signs of times because that's what it says in Matthew 24. Be awake to the signs of the times, hallelujah. So I remember picking up a book recently and on the back it had a quote from a German Lutheran pastor called um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anyone heard of him? Yeah, okay, right. Now, he was really quite prophetic in his day and he, he said this, this is a really interesting quote. He says, the restoration of the church will surely come from a sort of new monasticism which has in common with the old the uncompromising attitude of a life lived according to the Sermon on the Mount in the following of Christ. I believe it is time to call people together to do this. I don't know. I mean, that that when I saw that quote, I was like... I just took a double take of that. I can't believe what I'm reading here. That this guy who who kind of prophesied just through his intellectual abilities that that secularism would become rampant in, in our nations again, as it has now. And, and he could see that the way to reverse that tide of secularism was to go back to an ancient form of monasticism, which is going back to reinventing, it's not, it's not about reinventing the wheel, but going back to the wheel, the original wheel, where everything starts from the place of prayer. Now, you could take the upper room as a good example in the book of Acts, yeah? 120 people, what did they do up there? They prayed and prayed, and prayed. Now, they had no idea when the Holy Spirit was gonna be poured out, because Jesus said, hey, just wait here, tarry here in Jerusalem until, until the Holy Spirit gets poured out. Fortunately for them, it was only 10 days, but I mean, it, it could've been 50 days, it could've been, could been a year. But God said, you gotta tarry here until, you must tarry here until, you must tarry here until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so they just stayed in that upper room, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. Back in the early Pentecostal movement, they used to have tarrying meetings, where people would just wait, just if they hadn't received the baptism of the Spirit, they would like be on their knees and they'd just keep on tarrying and keep on praying and keep on praying and keep on praying until they got it. Amen? Until they got it. Nowadays, we go forth praying, I didn't get it. I'd be praying for the gift of tongues and I didn't get it. It's like, oh, come on, pull yourself together. You only tried once, I tried three times. It's like, well, just get on your knees. I just keep praying and praying and praying and hunger after God until you get it, amen? But God is on the move, because over the last 30 years, we have seen the rise of prayer movements across the world. So IHOP, uh, burn 24-7 prayer, Uh, interestingly, as Tracy pointed out to me the other day, the IHOP and 24-7 prayer, both completely independently from each other, began on the same day, nothing to do with each other, but they just started the same day, Um, and also you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, I can't, I think it's called the resurgence movement. There's a lot of charismatics that are returning to more ancient forms of Christianity and liturgy. And so, and there's other things that are going on from a technological point of view. There's a, a, a thing called the Hallowed app. anyone seen that? Yeah. okay so the hallowed app is a is a is a prayer app it's had over 10 million installs 225 million prayers have been completed on the app we have an app called lectio 360 in a room i bravery divine office time to pray the just Pre- and then of course we have other things like the just pray campaign which is going on around the uk uh, burn 24 7 and so on and so forth these are, it's there. It's already beginning. God is already at move, moving. But what the church needs to be careful of is that she doesn't see these things happening and think, oh, that's got nothing to do with me. It's not my thing. It's not my bag. It's not my ministry. That We're a church. We don't do that. Because the reality is, is the church has come as far as she can go in her current wineskin. And to take this nation like we have to and to see God pour his spirit out like we need to we have to become a praying people again. And there's no way around it. I'm sorry, there's just no way around it, okay? We've been doing for however long, the, the, the action stuff, the get out on the streets, tell people about Jesus, do whatever it takes to get people saved. And yes, some people do get saved, but when I first got saved, you'd go out on the streets and you would see people getting saved. Nowadays, you can go out on the streets for months and months and months and you maybe see a few here and there, but that's it. Nothing like what it used to be. I remember, when I was younger, you would see like a, a youth pastor guy type guy would come in. And he would do a meeting with uh, young people, and loads of them would get saved. I no, don't care anymore. Yeah. until the church recognises that she has to change, and that the wineskin that she is is over, and it is finished and to take this nation for Jesus, we can't be doing business the same old, same old. We can't be planting churches the same way we've always planted them. We just can't be doing Christendom the way we've been doing it for the last 50 years because it doesn't work anymore. I don't want to be negative. But it's just a fact. It doesn't work. And so we need to be listening to what the Spirit is saying. And I believe, not just to me, but to loads of other people around this nation, God is saying the same thing. You need to go back to the ancient past. You need to go back to the ancient past. You need to go back to the ancient past and reconnect with those things and start living those ways and reconnecting there. You see, God wants there to be, especially like among the young people, he wants people to radically give their lives to him, to be people of prayer, to be like modern day uh, kind of monks and nuns, people that will choose to be celibate for the rest of their lives, that will commit their lives to a radical lifestyle of prayer with God, that their lives are literally an offering to Jesus that's saying, Jesus, I give you my life and I'm going to lay down my life for you and I'm literally going to pray for this nation even if it kills me. And if I have to go all my life celibate to see the plans and purposes of God come to pass, then I give my life up for this. I've seen these people, I've seen them, God has shown me dreams about them and I've seen there's been reports of these people already starting to appear. They're people that are just so, so sold out for the spirit, no disrespect, but they would put us to shame. These are people that are so close to the spirit of God and that's why they don't want to marry because they do not want to break that closeness and that unison that they have with God. Something's happening, and the church needs to wake up to the fact that it is happening and it's going on around us. And I don't want to be caught behind the curve. I want to be on this wave. I want to be like, shh, riding this wave. I want to have fun on this wave. I do not want to be this huge, big wave being crushed by it. Because sadly, we are going to see over the next few years lots of churches being shut down for various reasons because we've come as far as we can go. And unless we change and unless we We radically start to rethink how we're doing things and we become a people of prayer. Because unless God's people humble themselves and pray, God is not going to heal this land. He is not going to move in this nation. And you can say, you can't say that, Chris. I absolutely can. Because I've studied enough church history to know that whenever the church didn't pray, things went bad. But then when things went bad, the church began to pray again. And unfortunately, as it was in the first Great Awakening, the second Great Awakening, the first move of the Spirit and the second move of the Spirit, wave of the Spirit, uh, over the last 100 years, well, the sort of last 150 years, it always was the same. Stock market collapse, then the church prayed, then revival came. Second Great Awakening, stock market collapsed, then the church woke up, then they prayed, then revival came. And it was the same as well, you know, that we had another Great Depression in the 1930s, and with that came the great, pro, uh, um, what's, it, the, um, what's it called, Joyce? The Pentecostal Pentecostal movement spread all throughout America and then spread out to the nations and stuff. Because when troubles hit, then things changed. I remember once we had a prayer night here. Uh, we, As you know, we pray every Thursday. But there was something that was in the news, I can't remember what it was, it was a few years back, And it had something to do with something that potentially could break out that would affect everybody in this nation. This room was full. But then when that blew over, this room was back to five or six people here again. Because until the thing, the squeeze comes upon us Christians, I'm afraid we're not going to get the prayer. We're not going to be a people of prayer. We have to kind of go through this. But in the squishing and the squashing, we're going to go through the meat grinder, praise God. But what we're going to come out the other end, we're going to be a new wineskin, ready for this new wine that's coming. It's coming. It is coming, and there are people that are already starting to move in it. You know, we are already trying to do what we're doing. So we're working the land, we're praying for the land. We're going to have, I can't go into too much details about it just yet, but we have a big building project under the way that's about to start. We're going to start meeting like politicians and local councils and stuff over the next few months. We are going to be having our planning permission put in by September at the latest to build, uh, well, I'm not saying what it is, But it'll be an exciting project that's being built on the farm so that we can literally be this prophecy, so that we can literally model something that people can come and we're not going to plant churches anymore. People can come to us, learn the model, and they can adapt that, take it away to their own communities, and then they can reinterpret that for where they're at and stuff it's not about building man's empire or a name for ourselves this is about getting back to basics building jesus's kingdom because it's all about him hallelujah it's all about him and let's remember that jesus is a high priest he spends a lot of his time in prayer. He spends a lot of his time interceding on behalf of his Father and behalf of the things of the earth. And so we as priests of the order of Melchizedek, which is what Christians are, need to be operating in that ministry and operating in that calling. Amen? Amen. God bless you. So if you come to this afternoon, you'll hear all the good news, all right? So the first uh, first one is a little bit about the bad news, but the second one's about the good news, which I'll preach at the, sec- the afternoon service. But... Get ready guys, we're going on a journey and it's going to change everything, but it won't be too, I don't think it's going to be like an instant slam dunk. God's gentle and gracious with his church, but he doesn't have time to let us take 20 years over this. Things are going to change quick. We just need to be in a place where we're prepared to be renewed as wineskins and ready to take the new wine that's coming. Amen.